Hello, friends. You're listening to Heaven's Light on your Atlanta Catholic radio station. I'm Annie Porter, and I'm joined in studio by Steph Ike, Carol Tearsmith, and Jack Tyson. And of course, we have Father Jim Blunt on the phone with us again today from the Society of Our Lady of the Most Holy Trinity. And today, we're going to talk a little bit about private revelation. But first, we know all good things start in prayer. So, Father Jim, would you lead us in an opening prayer? Sure. Let's go ahead and invoke the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle within us the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and we shall be recreated, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who, by the light of the Holy Spirit, you did instruct the hearts of your faithful, grant us by the same Holy Spirit that we may be made truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolations through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. 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 Alleluia. Alleluia. Good afternoon, team. Good to be with you. You too, too, Father. Great to be with you, Father. How are you today on this rainy day in Georgia? Well, I'm coughing a tiny bit. I just flew in from Indiana. I've been in a lot of places the last few weeks and just flew in late last night and I saw it was wet when the plane landed. It's been a little well, soggy, but we're we're happy to have you and very happy to be with you today. And and today's we'll we'll get to today's topic in just a second, but um today is actually the feast day of St. Louis. And we wanted you to tell us a, a little about him because he he had such an interesting background and actually the, the story is going to segue into today's uh, today's topic of God the Father. Yes, very good. Thank you, Jack. I, I love to um, stay close to the liturgy. It's very good for all of us to stay close to liturgy, priests and religious and lay people, because the old saying goes that God moves liturgically, that the Lord actually respects our liturgical calendar. And really, we believe the Holy Spirit inspired the calendar that we have and continues to inspire it. So today, as we're preparing to speak about private revelations, and especially the revelation of God the Father, we have the feast day of St. Louis the King. And what's amazing about St. Louis is that he has 11 children. Oh, wow. A king with 11 children who became a canonized saint. Mama Mia! <laughs> That's a different flavor. This is an incredible, what an incredible man he was, a holy man. And never to forget, he was a layman. So he wasn't a priest, he wasn't a bishop, he was a layman, of course. And what's really notable about beautiful St. King Louis is his relationship with his son. And there's a famous letter that he wrote to his son uh, before his passing. And it's sometimes called the spiritual testament to his son by St. Louis. And I wanted to read to our, our beautiful listener just a small part of this amazing letter uh, to give us some idea, first of all, is what kind of man should a Catholic father be? Whether he's a king or a doctor, an engineer or a chef, what kind of man should a Catholic papa, a Catholic daddy be? And here is gives us some idea of what it means to be a Catholic papa, a Catholic daddy, even in our time. So here, beloved, is the first paragraph or two of the letter that King St. Louis left to his son. And it goes like this. 
My dearest son, my first instruction is that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your strength. Oh, my goodness. I mean, when have we heard fathers saying that to their sons in our time? Mm-hmm. This is his first lesson to his son, who's a prince, who will inherit the throne. His first lesson, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your strength. My goodness, you could almost end the letter there. So we ask this beautiful saint, St. Louis, to pray for all the fathers of all the families who may be listening right now. And look what he says next to his son. He says, without this, there is no salvation. Without this love for God, there is no salvation. And so we see that his first concern is the love of God and the salvation of his son's soul. The salvation of his soul. Not like, what college should you go to, son? And here's an account I've set up for you. And here's the best car you might want to drive. I'll help you buy half of it. None of that. His first concerns are loving God with your whole heart and strength and seeking salvation through this love. And then look what he says next. To me, like, this is, this is for the year 2020. He says, keep yourself, my son, from everything that you know displeases God. That is to say, from every mortal sin. Mamma mia! We need fathers to say this to their sons and daughters today. Keep yourself, my son, from everything that you know displeases God. That is to say, from every mortal sin. And to reinforce his point, St. Louis says this, You should permit yourself, my son, to be tormented by every kind of martyrdom before you allow yourself to commit a mortal sin. Mm. Now, this is powerful. You know, in our age, which tends, we tend to make an idol out of pleasure and comfort, out of pleasure and comfort. That's not even on the board here with St. Louis and his son. You should, you should permit yourself to be tormented by every kind of martyrdom before you would allow yourself to commit a mortal sin. And then, to go on a little bit more, because the instructions here of St. Louis are profoundly wise. Then he tells his son, If the Lord has permitted you to have some trial, bear it willingly and with gratitude, considering that it has happened for your good, and that perhaps you will deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps you deserved it. <laughs> but look at this. Like, say, don't scorn your trials. Don't flee from them. Don't curse them. Maybe you deserved it. But whatever the trials you have, God permitted them. So bear it willingly and bear it with gratitude. And then he says this. He goes to the opposite side now, which is probably, in some ways, just as important, if not more so. He tells his son, if the Lord bestows upon you any kind of prosperity, thank him humbly and see that you become no worse for it. Mm. Now, isn't that amazing to be training your sons and your daughters, if God blesses you, to be grateful for the blessing, but use it well. Don't become sinful because of your blessings. Incredible, right. Right. incredible. This is a true Catholic father, a true Christian father, really um, in the image of God the Father. 
a true lover of Jesus Christ, who through his faith has become a father to his own sons and daughters. And I'll continue a little bit more here. He says, Make sure you become no worse for it, for your blessings, either through vain pride or anything else, because you ought not to oppose God or offend God in the matter of his gifts. Don't offend him. And at the end of his letter, he says this, In conclusion, my dearest son, I give you every blessing that a loving father can give a son. We have to remember now, and many of our beautiful lay people don't know this, but according to the, the Book of Blessings, the official Book of Blessings of the Catholic Church, you should call it the Incaridian, but this great group of blessings that we have, lay people can also give one blessing that is equivalent to the blessing of a Catholic priest. Hmm. And that is the blessing of a father or mother for their children. Hmm. That's a biblical blessing. It's in the Book of Blessings of the Holy Catholic Church from the Vatican, and that a father and a mother, they can bless their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren with a priestly blessing. And the blessing of an ordained priest, you might say, will come upon your children and grandchildren. Isn't that amazing? Oh, that is. Absolutely. And I think we really got to get that word out, don't we, to Mm -hmm. our beautiful people? Yes. Yes. Fathers and mothers both, daddies and mommies, can both, and of course grandfathers and grandmothers, can bless their children with a blessing that is, you might say, equivalent to is the blessing of a priest upon their children. And so with that in mind, I knew a family that, I know several families that still do this today, like right here in my own homeschooling community, where the fathers and mothers bless their children every night before bedtime. I know another family where the father blesses all their children before school. And so, dear fathers and mothers, just like St. Louis, you want to bless your sons and daughters and realize that your blessing is not an empty ceremony. The blessing you have is like the blessing of a priest. It's an imitation of St. Louis who is imitating Christ. It's really the blessing of God the Father in the name of Jesus coming on your children. And so that's why St. Louis says here to his own son who's a prince, soon to be king, in conclusion, dearest son, I give you every blessing that a loving father can give a son. May the three persons of the Most Holy Trinity and all the saints protect you from every evil. So we want to bless our children exactly that way. May the three persons of the Holy Trinity and all the saints protect you from every evil. And may the Lord give you the grace to do his will so that he may be served and honored through you, my son. Now, listen to this conclusion, that in the next life, my beautiful son, we may together come to see him, to love him, and to praise him unceasingly. Amen. Oh, amen. amen. Alleluia. Alleluia. Isn't that beautiful? It, it is. is. It, it is beautiful. It's beautiful. And, and uh, St. Louis certainly seemed to have the right perspective, didn't he? I mean, he was not going to let his son get off on the wrong foot or or just you know think too much of himself it's like everything you need to know is in that letter it is it's it's actually stunning and you know what might be a good thing jack is if every father listening would just make get a copy of this letter you can actually find it in the divine office in the catholic briefery to make a copy of the letter and give it to your sons and daughters 
Mm-hmm. That's a great it, idea. You know, sign your name on the bottom. Just just, just sort of say ditto. Yeah. <laughs> Yours truly. <laughs> that's right. Beautiful instruction that could last a lifetime. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. And that's, a, that's an awesome way to, to start today's uh, program as well. And, we, and we, we want to talk more about God the Father today, sort of picking up on our, our, on our theme from last year. Um, last yes. week, sorry. Um, and he, uh, God the Father made himself known and, and shared an important message to Mother Eugenia, which she wrote down in, in 1932. And you talked about that a little bit last week. It's called The, the Father Speaks to His Children. It's, it's really powerful, but yet very loving and very gentle. And it reveals God in, in a new way for many people. Can you, can you talk about that a little bit and describe this revelation from God the Father? Yes, and first thing, of course, is to say, and we may talk about this if we have time in just a little while, but this is um, an approved revelation. It's an approved private revelation, tested by the local bishop um, for many years, and then thoroughly tested against the doctrine of the Church. And so the local bishop, whom the Holy Father, the Pope, gives the authority to approve or disapprove all private revelations, that authority belongs to the local bishop where it happened. So the local bishop where this happened did test it and approve it. You know, one thing that really uh, jumps out at me, Jack, and, my, and our beautiful team, is this. When you, if you read the first page of the Revelation, where Mother Eugenia is describing the whole scene, when the Father, our Heavenly Father, actually appeared to her and sat down next to her, or actually he sat down first and asked her to sit next to him, and what comes across in this, this description is joy. Mm-hmm. And Mother Eugenia writes, as she was preparing, she knew the Father was coming. He'd whispered that to her before. She said, a few minutes of prayer, and then what spiritual joys, she said. I was overwhelmed by the desire to see him and to hear him. Now, I want to point out to everyone listening that this is the heart of Christ Jesus. Jesus desires to love to see his Father. My guess is one of his greatest burdens when he was here on the earth with us was not being up in heaven right next to his Father, so to speak, the whole time, that he missed his Father in a way. Of course, he had the beatific vision so he could see him in another way. But probably was his greatest agony, though, was not being in the fullness of the glory of his Father. That is the joy of Jesus. It's his Father's joy. And that's why when he saves souls for you and I on the cross and through the Holy Spirit and through his mother's intercession, when he saves souls, Jesus has joy because it it redounds to the glory of his Father. It makes his Father happy, and that makes Jesus happy. Father, I want another one for you today. He just rejoices at this. And so this whole uh, incredible message, really, it's infused with holy joy. And she continues, she said, The thought of my father made me, as it were, madly happy. You see, the father is our origin. We were created by the father through Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. And our destiny, our journey, is to return to the father through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. See, that's the whole idea. So she really, she's got it down. She's nailed this one. She says, the thought of my father made me, as it were, madly happy. Now, listen, team, 
What do you do when you're in love and you're madly happy? What do you normally do? You sing and you exactly. dance. <laughs> Rejoice. Good answer, you Carol. Sing. <laughs> Only lovers sing, you see. You sing when you're in love. And that's why when people go to heaven and come back with these amazing revelations and experiences, they always talk about the music in heaven. And I still remember a friend of mine years ago, I should not say his name, but I was a young monk, and he was a young monk, and he had received a revelation of heaven in his cell, and the angels were singing in his cell. He was a holy young man. And every time Brother would try to share with myself and the community what he heard, this religious brother would break down and weep, without exception. Whenever he would try to explain to us what it was that he had heard in his cell, the angels singing, he would break down and weep. His heart would break in holy joy. He could never get, ever, not even once, get through it. And the reason I mention that was because that's the next thing that Sister Eugenia heard. She says, finally, I began to hear singing right there in the convent. Angels came to announce this glad arrival. Now, notice it's not a sad arrival, it's a glad arrival. And this goes to the heart of why our amazing father appeared to Sister Eugenia, why he came to her. Because mankind dreads the father. We dread him. Instead of welcoming God the Father, we dread him. And we've been painted a picture, you might say, by the world and by false religion, that God the Father is mean and harsh. It's quite the opposite. God the Father is unbelievably gentle and beautiful. In fact, the whole, you might say, the whole created world, the whole quote-unquote civilized world today, maybe it's an uncivilized world today, teaches us to hate the Father, to hate our own fathers, to hate our fatherland, to hate anything that's masculine, anything that's patriarchal, to hate it. Now, you, you can detect the hand of the enemy in all of this, because heaven is our fatherland. It's where the Father reigns. But where the Father is, there is joy. And so Mother Eugenia writes, angels came to announce this glad arrival. Their songs were so beautiful that I wanted to write them down. And then she says this, prostrate with my face to the ground, Sunk in my own nothingness, I said the Magnificat. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. So Mother Eugenia was fully aware that she did not deserve this visitation. We don't deserve the Father. He, he loves us. He deserves our oblation. He deserves our love. But we don't deserve this gift. Just like every other gift, we call it grace, it's free. It's a free gift. And what Mother Eugenia experienced that day, so many years ago in 1932, what she experienced on that day is what God wants all of us to experience, the beauty and the joy of the presence of God the Father. He was absolutely magnificent that she had to prostrate herself on the ground. Because he's not just a king, he's the king of all kings. But then the next second, the next line, shows you his purpose. Well, he is magnificent. He's not, again, he's not hateful or harsh or overly judgmental. 
He's gentle and he seeks my salvation. He seeks your souls and my soul. He seeks our love. That's what every father wants from his children. His father will sacrifice himself for his children. He doesn't want anything back from his children. He doesn't want to pay them back. But he does want their love. He would like his sons and daughters to say thank you or, or to show a sign of filial respect. So what's amazing is in the very next line, she says, immediately afterwards, the father told me to sit close to him, to sit close to him, and write what he had decided to say to men. We call that familiarity. So the father asked Mother Eugenia to sit right next to him. How beautiful is this? How beautiful is this? So far from being a god, who wants to keep you and I at a distance, at arm's length. The real Father that Jesus reveals is quite, quite different. He wants you and I to sit next to him, and if we're small enough, to sit on his lap. This is our Father. He's a Father of great love. And, you know, I should mention that there was a great speaker, uh, Dr. Scott Hahn. I've had the joy to hear him several times. He's such a profound, you know, and intelligent testimony I really enjoy Dr. Scott Hahn. Surely, team, you've heard of him and it's oh, yeah. of his works. Mm-hmm. Yes, Isn't absolutely. he great? He's been a guest on the air with us. Oh, he's, he's really, really good and well-informed. He studies a lot. He's really a scripture scholar. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he had a debate once um, with the members of another religion. And so this, this other religion, not a Christian religion, uh, they believe that the Father is harsh and judgmental. And uh, they don't believe in the holy name of Jesus as the one Messiah. And Dr. Scott Hahn has set up, or rather a team has set up for him, a debate with this representative of another religion from the, from the Middle East. And they were going to argue or debate or discuss about God. And as they sat down for a preparatory meeting, you know, say a week or two before the debate, uh, the representative from the other religion, I forget his title, you know, like a sheik, um, but whatever it was, that he first, he, he made a demand, and he told Dr. Hahn, you are not to mention God as Father whatsoever. Hmm. Wow. He says, I absolutely forbid it. I will not debate you. You are not to admit the Great and Holy One as Father. And Dr. Hahn looked at him and tried to reason with him, well, this is the very essence of the Christian faith, of the Roman Catholic faith, is that we belong to Jesus, and through Jesus and with Jesus, we are sons and daughters of the Father. It's the whole idea of the Catholic faith that Jesus died so that I could be adopted, baptized in his blood and adopted, to, like Jesus and with Jesus, in Jesus and through him, that I become a son or daughter of the Father. I'm not just his creature or his subject. I am his beloved son, his beloved daughter. So that at every baptism, when the priest or the deacon pours the water over the forehead of the little one or even a grown adult, you can hear in the background, you can hear the same words that the Father spoke when Jesus was baptized. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved daughter, in whom I am well pleased. In other words, the the core of the Christian faith 
is to be adopted sons and daughters of the Heavenly Father. That's who we are. We are his sons and daughters for all eternity. And the reason I mention it's amazing, Dr. Hahn said he, he, they had to cancel the debate. It had to be canceled. Because the members of this other religion, uh, they would not permit him to mention the Father. And so Cardinal Ratzinger, Pope Benedict XVI, he went on to speak about this, that the very identity of the Lord Jesus Christ is found and only found in his relationship with the Father. Who is Jesus? He is the Father's only Son. And so at the core of our Roman Catholic faith, at the core of Christianity, is the Father and his loving sons and daughters. Amen? Amen. Amen. Isn't that fascinating? It is. It is. I didn't know that story. They had to call off the debate. And this is so sad. And this is why we need to pray that all the Muslims of the world, and all the Hindus, and all the Buddhists, all the atheists too, all the Taoists, that everyone comes to an experience of the love of the Father. Mm. Jesus actually is the incarnate love of the Father. We need everyone to receive this marvelous experience that God is not a threat. Lucifer is a threat. God is not a threat. God is the one who loves us, who so loved the world that he sent his only Son, that whosoever should believe in him, even far in the Middle East and the Far East, those who believe in him should not perish, but should receive eternal life. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so this revelation we have, my beautiful team and our beautiful listeners, this revelation is a revelation of unutterable joy. We were made precisely for this. The Father looked at his Son, Jesus said, Boy, you are so good, you are so beautiful, I want one billion more just like you. <laughs> and that's the whole idea, that Jesus is so beautiful, that I'm telling you, he is beautiful. We can't look upon him, really, and live in heaven. It takes a special grace called the beatific vision to look at Jesus in his glory. But the Father said, Jesus, I love you so much, I want at least one billion more just like you. And Jesus said, Father, here I am. Send me. Send me, Father. I will go. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so this amazing revelation approved by the Church, the Father speaks to his children. It brings to the forefront that aspect of the Gospel, which is absolutely central, that Jesus, beloved, did not come on his own. He came to do his Father's bidding. He did not come to do his own thing. He came because the Father sent him. And he came freely and willingly, he said. He said, no man forces me. He said, I lay down my life freely. Why? Because my Father wants sons and daughters. And I will, I will die so my Father can have more sons and daughters. And so the whole Catholic revelation, the whole public revelation, centers on the love of Christ Jesus for his Father, and the fact that you and I are called to enter into and participate in that same love. We are called to be like Jesus and with Jesus and in Jesus. We are called to be beloved sons and daughters of the most beautiful God, the beautiful Father. So this revelation, you might say, it sort of enhances public revelation. 
And that's what private, private revelation is supposed to do, is to sort of bring to the forefront certain aspects of the gospel that need to be lived more fully in our time. Well, in this time, one of the most striking characteristics of our world today is fatherlessness. There have been whole books written on this, not even Christian books by psychologists, on fatherlessness. And the Church herself sometimes seems to have lost her, her way, that we oftentimes hear all kinds of preaching and teaching about maybe social justice, and maybe other things that shouldn't even be said in Church, but nothing about the Father himself. This is the core of the Gospels. We need the most is that we need this part of the Gospel to be enhanced right now, to live it more fully. Jesus is the Son of his Father, and through baptism, so are you and I. Amen. 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 We've got to take a quick break, but you're listening to Heaven's Light on AM 1160, The Quest. Stay tuned. The Quest presents Pro-Life Minutes. RU486 is the name of the medication combination used to complete medical abortions. The first medication, Mifeprex, blocks the action of progesterone, a hormone needed to continue the pregnancy. This medication starves the baby, causing the death of the baby. The second medication is misoprostol and is taken between 12 and 48 hours later. It causes the woman to have severe cramping and bleeding and results in the expulsion of the baby at home. Did you know that between taking the first pill and the second pill, the mother can change her mind and save her baby? Visit abortionpillreversal.com to learn more. There's potential to save the baby even 72 hours after the first pill. Spread the word and help save a baby today. Let's show the world that every life matters by speaking up for life at every opportunity. For more homegrown wisdom, visit thequestatlanta.com. AM 1160 The Quest is listening to you, too. One listener shared. I don't know what I would do without The Quest. Every day I get an update on the Catholic Church and hear inspiring stories. I thought I knew a lot about my faith, but I'm learning something new every time I tune in. I feel connected to a larger Catholic community. If you're enjoying the station, please consider supporting us with a donation. Go online to thequestatlanta.com. Please join us in a prayer to St. Michael the Archangel. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. You're listening to Heaven's Light on your Atlanta Catholic radio station, AM 1160, The Quest. I'm Annie Porter, and I'm joined in studio by Steph Ike, Carol Tearsmith, and Jack Tyson. And on the phone, we have Father Jim Blunt with us from the Society of Our Lady of the Most Holy Trinity. And this hour, we're talking about private revelation and God the Father. Great, great. 
Uh, Father, uh, we, you touched on this at the beginning of last hour, a little bit about uh, private le- revelation, but that's something we as the, the team in the studio, we've had a lot of discussion over the last couple of weeks about private revelation. And sure. as Catholics, many of us don't really understand private revelation and really the church's position on it. So we were just wondering if you could walk us through what is private revelation and why does God provide it? And where does the church stand on our acceptance of private revelation? Very good. A good place to begin would be the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which is like a definitive teaching of Rome for all Catholics everywhere. And so here is first what Rome says, what the Catechism says in paragraph number 66 in the Catechism. Here's one thing she says. It's about revelation just in general. And then we'll go to the next paragraph, 67, about private revelation. So About Revelation in general, number 66 says, The Christian economy, therefore, since it is the new and definitive covenant, will never pass away. And no new public revelation is to be expected before the glorious manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yet, she says, even if revelation is already complete, and it is, It has not been made completely explicit. It remains for Christian faith gradually to grasp its full significance over the course of the centuries. Now, you know, that's a very wise and prudent paragraph, is it not? Mm -hmm. Yes. And the second part in particular, where the fathers of the Church tell us that even though Revelation is already complete, it's not yet completely explicit. In other words, here's the revelation, but then how do we understand it? How is it understood? And this begins to open up for us one reason why Father, in his providence and his love, will send us private revelations to help make things more explicit. For instance, in our own time, St. John Paul the Great, approving the devotion of the divine mercy through Sister St. Faustina, was really, I mean, we already know God is merciful, but for many people, it's just a word. It's just a word. Okay, God is merciful. Okay, what's next? No, 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 no. Mercy is the highest attribute of the Godhead, and his mercy is unfathomable. So she used those words. Oh, unfathomable divine mercy. Is mercy part of public revelation? You better believe it is. Is it completely explicit? No, it wasn't. It needed, like, more character, more defining tones, especially in a time such as ours, especially at that time, during World War II and its aftermath. What was it a time of incredible despair? And it's almost like half the world was in mortal sin because of the wars and all the murders. The need to understand mercy deeper and better was given to us through St. Faustina. But now, the Catechism goes on in the very next paragraph, number 67, and she writes this. Throughout the ages, there have been so-called private revelations, some of which have been recognized by the authority of the Church. So those ones we want to stick with, like this one we're using today of Heavenly Father, those that have been recognized by the authority of the Church. Those that are not recognized, well, they might be true, they might not be true. We have to be very careful, though. We should let the authority, and that is the local bishop, 
Let him test and discern these things. He actually has a gift. It's part of his office, you might say. It's, it's called the grace of state. Not the state of grace, but the grace of state. And so bishops have a special grace to discern these things carefully. And so those, there are some that have been recognized, actually quite a few, by the authority of the Church. They do not belong, however, to the deposit of faith. It is not their role to improve or complete Christ's definitive revelation. It's not their role. Okay, then you throw it out. No. Here's the very next line. You don't throw it out. They are meant to help live more fully by it in a certain period of history. Private revelation is meant, us, meant to help us live more fully by public revelation in a certain period of history, guided by the magisterium of the Church. You see, the census fidelium knows how to discern and welcome in these revelations whatever constitutes an authentic call of Christ or his saints to the Church. And by the way, St. Catherine of Siena received four revelations from God the Father. They're called the Dialogues. Catherine of Siena, Doctor of the Church. This is one reason why she's a Doctor of the Church. She received four revelations called Dialogues from the Heavenly Father. What is that? That's private revelation. Approved by the Church utterly and completely to help back then, in those times, centuries ago, to begin to understand the Heavenly Father a little bit better, what was already there in public revelation. And so the Church says, we are to welcome these revelations. Now that, to me, is the central point for an obedient Catholic. We are to welcome these revelations, like the flame of love. Recently, given the imprimatur by Archbishop Chapu, the retired Bishop of Philadelphia, and by many other prelates around the world, including the Cardinal Archbishop of Budapest, Hungary, who would be the local bishop who also approved it. We are to welcome these revelations. Now, just to be safe, the Church goes on to say, in number 67, Christian faith cannot accept revelations, quote-unquote revelations, that claim to surpass or correct the revelation of which Christ is the fulfillment. And that's called like the New Age movement. There would be certain revelations in the New Age movement that actually contradict the gospel of Jesus Christ or claim to perfect it in some way. And that's why the Church says, as is the case in certain non-Christian religions and also in certain recent sects, S-E-C-T-S, which base themselves on such revelations. So the private revelations approved by the Church are to be welcomed. They don't contradict the public revelation, they enhance it. Mm-hmm. Now one simple way to describe him is very simple. You know, no, no analogy is perfect. Like they say, all analogy limps. That's a famous saying in, in <laughs> writing, in theology. All analogy limps. It's never perfect. But if you put it this way, public revelation, we have it before us in black and white, and private revelation brings it into full color. It's the same picture, it's the same message, it's the same person, but now you see what color his shirt is, what color the background is. It brings to the forefront in full color the public revelation, or usually some part of the public revelation, so that what? So that we can understand as the Catechism says in the previous paragraph, 
we can make more completely explicit what Jesus has revealed to us. So he revealed to us that there is a Father. Is there anything more? Yes. The Father is unutterably generous and merciful. That doesn't always come across. And so the private revelation will bring that to the fore. When Jesus said that we have a Father, he meant a merciful and loving Father. Amen? Amen. Amen. So there's like a very simple example how private revelation, you might say, brings into full color the black and white photo of some part of public revelation into full color. It makes it more explicit. I mean, it was already there, you see, implicit. It was already there, implicitly, hiding inside. Private revelation brings it out, so it's more clear what was already hidden there. Amen? Amen. 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 You know, Father, when it comes to private revelation, as you know, they can have critics. And it seems like there's always someone or people who want to dispel the revelation. It makes it a little confusing sometimes. You know, many people um, tend to think that if, oh, if I haven't heard of it before, I'm going to ignore it. And unfortunately, they miss out on some things that way. So how do we discern, you know, private revelation as it is? What do we trust? And what would you say the guidelines are? Yes, a very good question, a very important question. But first, let me quote St. Augustine, uh, because as you said rightly, that so many of our beautiful fellow Catholics and other Christians, they say, well, if I don't already know it, then then I don't need to know it. Mm -hmm. Here's what Augustine said about discovering God, the Most Holy Trinity. He said, Late have I learned to love you, O God, ever ancient, ever new. Yes. Those are the words of the doctor of the Church, maybe the greatest doctor of all history of the Catholic Church. Late have I learned to love you, O God, ever wretched, ever new. And see, newness is a sign of life. There's no one more alive than God. In heaven, by the way, there is no death. There is no rigor mortis. In heaven, everything is alive and everything is new. And the word ancient, our ancient Catholic faith, ancient does not mean old. That's actually a fallacy, a misunderstanding of the word itself. Ancient doesn't mean old. Ancient means timeless. Hmm. So he's not, oh, oh God, ever old, ever new. Uh-uh, he's ever ancient. Ancient means timeless, that the truths of heaven are always new. They're forever, but they're always new. And so for those who say, I, I, already, I already know it, I don't need anything new, this is quite stunning, because a man, let's say, like Pope, our retired Pope Benedict, such a brilliant theologian, maybe the most brilliant theologian of the last 100 years, he's always seeking to understand his faith better. And he said categorically several occasions uh, that he, he doesn't know everything. He knows he doesn't know everything. He's trying to understand public revelation better and better and better, and God gives him new insights. And so to think that I have it down, that's called presumption. Mm-hmm. So be very, very careful with that. God is ever ancient and ever new. And that's one of the qualities of truth, that it keeps renewing itself. In fact, sacred scripture says, even in the Old Testament, that God renews his mercies morning after morning. Every morning his mercies are renewed. 
So to be aware of that, private revelation, you might say, brings to the forefront that, that newness of God. It's the same old teaching, the same ancient teaching renewed for our time. Mm-hmm. So to be aware of that, this is part of the qualities of the Godhead himself. God is anything but old. You know who's old? The devil is old. And he's getting older. You see? Uh That's what's old. Sin makes us old. That's why one writer in the last century, he wrote a beautiful book called The Diary of a Country Priest, an amazing Catholic novel. And there was a line, George Bernanos, and there was a line in this novel where he describes the ever-blessed Virgin Mary. And it was just a little passing line in the novel. We were studying it in the seminary. And as I read this, honestly, I almost dropped the book from my hands as I read this, just a passing line. It wasn't even the heart of the book or the chapter. But he described Mother Mary, the author, and he said, Mary, younger than sin. Mary, younger than sin. And he continued. And by that, what we're trying to get at is, it's sin that makes us old, you might say. Sin makes us old, irritable, and grouchy. But holiness makes us young. And so the Holy Spirit is the fountain, is a fountain of eternal youth. What Ponce de Leon was looking for, we have found in the Catholic Church. We have found the fountain of eternal youth. It's found in the heart of Mary. It's precisely the spirit of her son, Jesus Christ. So to be aware of this, that there's a newness about God and a newness about grace, the truth never changes, but it's ever beautiful and becomes more beautiful with each passing day as it becomes more explicit. Now, who decides whether perfect revelation is good or bad? Well, it's not you or me. We don't decide that. And so I'm always stunned, to be honest with you, team. I just speak to you very honestly, like a little boy. I'm going to speak candidly to you. I'm always stunned when I see a website, and some by uh, certain people say, well, I'm a trained theologian, all of that. And they contradict the approval of the local bishop. And the bishop himself has tested it for 10 years. And even in this revelation, there's an entire letter written by this amazing and godly bishop of all he went through. And his conclusions are very, very clear. But this beautiful bishop, Bishop Alexander, the Bishop of Grenoble, he, gave it the, he used the special grace he has. It's called the grace of state as a bishop. And submitted it to Rome. And of course, another cardinal in Rome also gave the imprimatur. Now, I have to ask, who am I to contradict that bishop who has the grace of the Holy Spirit to test and to definitively decide the authenticity of the revelation? No one else in the entire world, including the bishop and the diocese next door, has that authority. Only the local bishop. And if Rome lets it stand, in other words, the bishop submits his his opinion, if Rome lets it stand, it stands. In other words, Rome has spoken when she approves of what the local bishop has said. Of course, this, this has stood now for almost 100 years, this particular revelation. And so how do we know? You look for the imprimatur. You look to see if the local bishop, your local bishop, yes, but in particular, the bishop of the diocese, that part of the world, 
that country or city where the amazing supernatural revelation occurred. Does that bishop concur? There are some, for instance, and I give you a good example for our country, and not meaning any sort of condemnation, but you know in this beautiful country, the United States of America, and may God preserve our beautiful country. In our country, there was a set of revelations and visions in a place in New York, New York State, called Bayside. Bayside, New York. Queens. Yes. And it was considered like revelations or apparitions from heaven. And a cult, you might say, grew up around it of, of Catholics. But eventually, it was completely condemned by Holy Mother Church and by the local bishop. Completely condemned. And even after that, some would continue to, pro even to this day, a few people still propagate some of its messages. But it was a little bit bizarre, a little bit odd, and they actually continued, you might say, in disobedience as well, which is not a mark of the Holy Spirit. But there's a perfect um, example in our own country, you might say in our own time, of a private revelation that's disapproved by the Church, actually condemned by the Church. So where do you go? You go to the local bishop. And you see where, where this occurred, has the bishop and have other bishops with him given it their full approval, their imprimatur. That's the only trustworthy way, I believe. The other ones, you can look at them. You're not forbidden to look at them. It's true. The new code of canon law permits us to read private revelations, even those that are like brand new and not yet tested. But she says, when you read them, be wise and prudent and make sure they're congruent with the revealed you know, the public revelation of Holy Mother Church, the, the congruent, you might say, with the Bible and the catechism. But in a nutshell, how do you know? You go to the bishop and go to the local bishop and see what decision he has made, guided by the Holy Spirit, for that special grace that he has, the grace of state, to make these decisions. We, we actually need this grace, because the evil one can be very deceptive. Mm -hmm. So we need the bishop in union with his, his own theologians, and sometimes he has psychologists, too, there with him, helping him to make these decisions, to test, you know, the, the mental ability and status of, of the visionary. But he'll make it very carefully, but guided by the Holy Spirit, to make sure there's nothing hiding under the rocks, so to speak. No serpent hiding under the rocks. Amen? Amen. Amen. That was helpful. We have uh, we have just a few minutes left, Father, and uh, I, I would like to ask you. You've you've said before that um, before God does anything, He shares it first with His prophets. Can you tell us what you mean by that, and maybe give us a quick example or two? Yes, I, I will. You know, this is this is biblical. This comes from sacred scripture. That whole thought and word in that line, God always reveals His plans in advance to humankind, to the Church in particular. In fact, not only does he reveal his plans in advance, he actually, he forms the prophets in advance. He chooses them in advance. For instance, if you read the book of Jeremiah, the great prophet, he's one of, the, of course, the greatest prophets of the Holy Bible. Isaiah and Jeremiah are the two great prophets, you might say. And what did God say to Jeremiah? You can find this like in chapter 1 of the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah writes this, The word of the Lord came to me thus, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, 
I dedicated you, a prophet to the nations, I appointed you, Mm. a prophet, before he was born. Mm. So not only does God reveal his plans to his prophets way in advance, he actually chooses the prophets before they're born. Wow. And this, this is how perfect God is, and how perfect his provision is. Now, if truth be told, every baptized Catholic is a prophet. If truth be told, we are a nation of priests and prophets. That's what we are. In other words, we have the capacity to hear the Word of God. Yes, by reading sacred scripture, but also in the depths of our own heart. With good training, we can learn to identify the voice of God himself within us. Of course, that goes along with everything we've already said, that the words that I hear must be congruent with sacred scripture and with the catechism. There must be words of love and truth. But we are a nation of prophets. But this speaks even more, this amazing teaching of sacred scripture. It speaks even more, again, of the fellowship of God with man, that God wants to draw close to man. And so what do you do when your best friend, let's say, your best friend has special plans, let's say, for his property or, or for the family or for the city. He doesn't just do them. Normally, your best friends will share with you their plans. It's part of being a friend as you share your secrets with one another. If you have a brother who's your best friend, you tell your brother, hey, bro, nobody knows this yet, but I'm going to Israel in the fall. And you share your secret plan with your brother, you see? Uh He's, oh, wow, can I go with you? (laughs) You know, that's what we do as friends. Friends share their secrets with one another. Is that not true? That's true. Absolutely. Is God our friend? He is. Of course he is. He's beautiful. (laughs) He's our friend and our father. Our daddy. (laughs) Amen. He he shares his plans with us because he loves us. And that's what friendship does. It shares, you might say, the deepest things with the beloved. So the father, he's not playing us like a yo-yo. He's not playing the church or the world like a yo-yo. Sometimes we play God like a yo-yo, but he doesn't do that to us. He treasures us. And to, to us, to him, we are a pearl of great price to God. He may be our pearl of great price, but believe me, friends, We are his pearl of great price. He sacrificed the best he had, all the blood of his son, to win us as his sons and daughters. We are a treasure to God. And he's not just doing things like to us. He wants to do things with us. He's not doing things to us like we're objects. He wants to do things with us because we are subjects. And that's what St. John Paul wrote about true philosophy in true theology, that we are to be subjects to one another, not objects. We're not objects or things. We are subjects. And so Father God looks upon you and I as loving subjects, true sons and daughters. He wants to work with us. He says, here, son, here, daughter, here are my plans. What do you think of them? Would you like to help me? Let's do this together. And so every good, you might say, producer or manufacturer or constructor, he has plans. He has an architect who help him in advance. And yet he shares his plans with his helpers and with his friends. And so this really is what the Scripture is hinting at is that God loves us. 
and God desires fellowship with us. He doesn't just throw plans on top of the church and the human race. He reveals them to us, and he asks us to share them with him, to be his partners. He says, son, here's my plan. Would you help me? And so that's what he did to our Holy Mother. He sent an angel from heaven to reveal to her a plan. Hail, full of grace, he said. The Lord is with thee. He sent an angel to begin to reveal the plan of the Incarnation to a holy teenage girl, a teenager. And he asked her to be part of his plan. He says, oh, my precious daughter, will you say yes? Will you help me? And so St. Bernard of Clairvaux writes in one of his beautiful homilies, he said, Mary, God has revealed the plan to you through the angel, and the whole world awaits your reply. Mary, don't wait, don't wait, don't wait, Mary. Yes, say yes now to the plan, because we need Jesus who will come through you. Amen. 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 That's what's going on there. God always reveals his plans in advance to the prophets. Why? Because the prophets are actually his friends. They are the friends of God. And God loves to work with us, not against us, not over us, but with us as a true friend, as a true father, and really a lover of our souls. Wow, what another incredible hour, Father Jim. Thank you so much for joining us again today. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Would you mind closing us with a prayer and a blessing? Yes. Team, would you say this beautiful prayer after me and maybe all of our beloved listeners? This is the prayer also has received the approval. It's called the Fiat of the Eternal Father. And it's the prayer that Heavenly Father is asking us to pray in addition to the Our Father. So if you would say this after me, my beautiful team, and all of our listeners. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. My beloved Father, my beloved Father, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Be thou my Father. Be thou my Father. Be always my eternal Father. Be always my eternal Father. Do not leave my soul. Do not leave my soul. Do not abandon me. Do not abandon me. Do not leave me out of your sight, my Father. Do not leave me out of your sight, my Father. For I am your child. For I am your child. Whom you have created to please you. Whom you have created to please you. To adore you. To adore you. To honor you. To honor you. Living my days. Living my days, as you have given me the license to live it, as you have given me the license to live it, I offer up this fiat through Mary. I offer up this fiat through Mary. Mary. To Jesus. To, to Jesus. To you, eternal Father. To you, eternal Father. Amen. Amen. And I say, Father, I love you, and we love you. You are most beautiful. Reveal to our hearts through public revelation and through approved private revelation. Reveal to our hearts who you really are. Mm -hmm. 
We need you. You are our deepest identity. You, Father, you are my origin and my destiny. May the whole world fall in love with you. And this day, Father, may your blessing in the name of Jesus come upon the human race and all those who are listening. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we are orphans no more because of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to Heaven's Light on your Atlanta Catholic radio station, AM 1160, The Quest.